On the 14th of October, another protest began in the streets of Beirut. An angry crowd marched with purpose, blocking traffic and yelling slogans. In a country where protest has become a daily occurrence, this one would be different. All of a sudden, shots rang out. Chaos ensued. In the violent exchange, seven people were killed and dozens more injured. Unlike the popular protests of 2019, these demonstrations were not against political corruption, unemployment, taxes or the economic crisis. The anger here was against a high-profile judge, who so far is refusing to back down. Tarek Batar is rocking the status quo in Lebanon. His job is to investigate the Beirut port blast. Over a year after it happened, still nobody has been held to account. Batar has boldly called some of Lebanon's biggest political players in for questioning and the people out marching that day want him removed. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Gareth Brown. And this week, we're looking at how the investigation into the Beirut port explosion is opening up wounds, both old and new. Before we start, subscribe to Beyond the Headlines in your favourite podcast app to get the latest episodes and check out our mini-series, The Blast, on the events leading up to the Beirut explosion. It's been over a year since the Beirut port explosion. The general public is desperate for answers. How and why was such a lethal amount of explosives kept in a warehouse in the centre of the capital city? The explosion killed at least 215 people and injured thousands more. Whole neighbourhoods remained destroyed. The investigation into this and who is ultimately responsible is a political minefield. It goes beyond the explosion itself in some ways, it is an inquiry into the very heart of the corrupt morass that is Lebanon's political system. The protests on October 14th were called by two of Lebanon's political parties, the Amal movement and Hezbollah, who are furious with the way the port blast investigation is being carried out. My colleague Mahmoud Rida, a video journalist for The National, was at the protest when the first shots rang out. Around 10.45, I reached the protest and... Uh... There were already a lot of people, um, maybe around two or three hundred people. And uh, five minutes after I arrived, uh, we started hearing a fire gun uh, from a bit far. And then uh, all of a sudden, at around 11.05, 11.10 maximum, all the uh, protesters started leaving uh, together and they start marching towards another area. I stayed there for five minutes and then I was like, okay, the, the, the gunfire is becoming uh, closer and closer. So I'm, I'm walking there and while I'm walking closer and closer, the, the gunfire sound becomes louder and louder. And uh, I reached my bike and I was about to go and I hear uh, the sound of a big crash uh, down like uh, at the end of the road. And I look and there's a car accident, like a big car accident. So I ran to see what's happening. The, the cars were in total damage. And uh, this is where everything started be, being, you know, fishy for me. There's something going on. Because I look and there's a lot of uh, soldiers um, from the army who are hidden under buildings, but they are not approaching the car, which is not really the case, right? Because there is a big car accident. They should like uh, rush to the cars and try to help the people inside. So I started approaching the, the people to see if anyone got hurt in the car accident. And the army actually started yelling at me. And they're like, what are you doing? Hide, hide. So I started running 
towards one of the building and the, one of the soldiers tell me, are you crazy? There are snipers on the street. This protest, led by Shiite factions, was edging into a Christian neighbourhood. Although it remains unclear exactly who fired the first shot, the country's interior minister confirmed it was the work of snipers. In a joint statement, Hezbollah and Amal accused their old civil war rival, the Christian Lebanese forces, of instigating the violence, deploying snipers on the area's rooftops. It's an accusation the Lebanese forces have vehemently denied. There is a split in, uh, in opinion uh, about what happened in that day. The supporters of Amal and Hezbollah people think that they were um, ambushed by uh, Lebanese forces, which is a Christian political party, and that they were uh, snipered by them. And uh, other people uh, think that there was actually no ambush and uh, that there was clashes between the protests themselves and the army. And they think that because a lot of uh, videos circulated online that showed uh, that theory. And uh, also there's journalists who actually supported the first theory. And then when the video came out, they changed their, their opinion, saying apparently there was no ambush. So still, uh, you can see on, uh, on Twitter the two uh, theories trending. Each one is uh, backing and supporting his, his theory. These videos have been circulating on social media, leading to a lot of speculation. Aya Majzoub is a Lebanon researcher at Human Rights Watch. It's still not known what caused the initial who fired first or you know, what, what the spark of the, of the violence was. But what ensued then was street battles between Hezbollah and Amal on the one hand and unknown assailants on the other. Uh, Hezbollah and Amal have accused the Lebanese forces of perpetrating the attack on their uh, members, but the Lebanese forces has denied it. There are also videos circulating online showing that the person who fired the first shot was actually a member of the Lebanese army and not Amal and Hezbollah and not the Lebanese uh, forces. The army released a statement saying that this soldier is now under investigation. So we are all waiting for the results of the army's investigation to clarify whether it was in fact a member of the army who shot first or whether it was unknown assailants as uh, Hezbollah and Amal claim. But what was behind the protests and why are Amal and Hezbollah so enraged by the judge leading the investigation? Although the investigation began in August 2020, just weeks after the explosion, very little progress has been made. In February 2021, Fadi Sawan, the previous judge leading the investigation, was forced out. Sawan had begun summoning and charging former ministers for negligence. Documents leaked to the press about Sawan's dismissal cited former ministers as believing he was unable to respect parliamentary immunity and was biased due to his own house having been damaged in the blast. The establishment parties got their way. Enter new judge, Tariq Bittar. The replacement has so far proven to be just as much of a menace, at least in the eyes of those who forced out his predecessor. Bittar had initially been put forward to lead the investigation from the start, but had turned the job down. Although he did not give his reasons, the fate of Fadi Sawan and the precarious balance of political power in Lebanon mean the undertaking is one fraught with difficulties. Tariq Bittar has not let Sawan's removal from the investigation hamper his own efforts. Despite threats and intimidations, he has repeatedly called top political figures in for questioning. He even summoned former Prime Minister Hassan Diab. 
but Bittar's investigation has come up against barriers. And if there is one lesson that can be taken from previous probes, like the one into the murder of former Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri in 2005, it's that investigators and witnesses who get too close to the truth have a history of disappearing or even ending up dead. One of the barriers Bittar has come up against is the Lebanese constitution's articles on immunity for politicians. Lebanon's constitution has various types of immunities for different political officials, including ministers, uh, prime ministers, the president, and parliamentarians. Uh, So for ministers, um, this is the issue that has been very contested in Lebanon, the Lebanese constitution gives a special court called the Supreme Court for Trying Presidents and Prime Ministers the power to prosecute uh, and try uh, ministers who have been accused of uh, violating their duties in office. So that has been interpreted by the political establishment as the Supreme Court, the special court, is the only entity that has the jurisdiction to try ministers. However, legal precedent in Lebanon uh, shows that if parliament refuses to act, the regular judiciary can prosecute ministers, and also that this immunity from prosecution by the regular judiciary doesn't apply in cases like the Beirut blast, where the charges are possibly intentional and unintentional homicide. And therefore, the judge leading the investigation is proceeding under the legal explanation that he does have jurisdiction over these ministers. However, these ministers and the entire political establishment have been putting up roadblocks for his investigation, accusing him of violating the constitution and overstepping his authority. This immunity has become a central issue in the investigation. There are those that believe the politicians are there to serve the people, and so they should be above reproach. In late September, Tariq Bittar called in Ali Hassan Khalil for questioning, alongside two other former ministers, Ghazi Zaita and Nuhad Mashnouk. Ali Hassan Khalil is a former finance minister and a high-ranking figure in the Amal movement. He also has ties to Hezbollah. Khalil didn't show up for questioning when asked by Judge Bittar, something that prompted the judge to issue an arrest warrant for him. This is what really angered Amal and Hezbollah. They say Judge Bittar's investigation is biased, and dismayed at the arrest warrant, they announced a joint call for protests. The Amal movement is a powerful presence in Lebanese politics. Born in the 1970s and affiliated with the Shia sect, it quickly rose to prominence and became one of the leading Shiite militias during the Lebanese civil war in the 1980s. Hezbollah have taken a very strong stance against Tariq Bittar's investigation. Aya says the investigation is challenging Lebanon's political status quo. In July, Judge Bittar moved his investigation forward and started requesting that immunities be lifted off of politicians and senior security officials to allow him to start prosecuting them. And this started a very big debate in the country amongst the political establishment who aren't used to being held accountable for any of their crimes. So they started with a media campaign calling into question the credibility of the judge, accusing him of being politicized, accusing him of being subject to foreign interference, particularly U.S. influence. Um, That escalated then over the summer with the politicians refusing to show up for their questioning sessions, refusing to abide by arrest warrants. 
you then had a reported threat from a senior Hezbollah security official to the judge telling him that we will use legal means to remove you. And if that doesn't work, we'll remove you by other means. And it's possible that you know, the, the events of Thursday are what other means uh, mean. Hezbollah and its allies organized protests against the judge leading the investigation, which culminated in deadly street clashes, very much reminiscent of the civil war, basically giving the Lebanese people a, a choice, a false choice between justice on the one hand and stability on the other. Hezbollah is another group that came out of the Lebanese civil war affiliated with Iran and aligned with the Shiite population of Lebanon, they have an alliance with Amal. Unlike the rest of the civil war's belligerents, Hezbollah never disarmed, leaving them thousands of armed fighters at their disposal. Aya believes their role in Lebanon has changed over the years. Hezbollah for the last couple of years has really acted as the protector of the political establishment in Lebanon. We saw this during the October 2019 uprising when millions of people went down to the streets demanding a change in the political establishment. And Hezbollah really came out against the protests and positioned itself as a protector of this entire establishment. And this is what we see again with Bitar's investigation. It's no secret that all of the political class from across the political spectrum are opposed to uh, Judge Bitar's investigation. And they also have been calling for his removal and calling into question Bitar's uh, credibility. But this effort has been led by Hezbollah, who has taken it further than some of the other allies, particularly during the protests last week. The whole of Lebanon watches the progress of this trial to understand what led to the explosion, but also crucially, to see whether the legal and political system in the country are fully functioning. As the victims' families have tried to stand firm in the face of ongoing political and judicial barriers, developments on the 16th of October, just two days after the shootings at the protest, caused a commotion. Ibrahim Hatayt, a spokesperson for the victims' families who had fully supported Tariq Batar, asked for him to step down. A video which saw Hatayt speaking filled reports in the press and comments on social media that he had been intimidated into making a complete U-turn. The political establishment has been waging a campaign of harassment and intimidation against the judge, but also against people supporting the judge. We've seen attacks in the media, we've seen reported threats delivered to the judge himself, and we've also heard about intimidations and threats to the families of the victims themselves who have been at the forefront of the fight for justice and accountability. One of the spokespeople for the families of the victims who was over the last several months adamant that he supported Judge Bitar and that he had full confidence in Judge Bitar's ability to conduct the investigation impartially, changed his position in a video that he recorded alone in his house at around 1 a.m. a few days ago. Many people have said that this video was recorded under duress and that Ibrahim Hadid, the spokesperson, has been intimidated and harassed into changing his position. A few months ago, Ibrahim Hatayt, at an event that I attended, had said that he was getting threats, including death threats, from a variety of individuals because of his support for Judge Bitar and because of his fight for justice uh, for the victims of the Beirut blast. However, Hatayt says his change of heart is due to the fear of Lebanon sliding into another civil war. The gunfire on the 14th lasted close to four hours, 
and took place in the neighbourhood of Tayune, a historically poignant location for many Beirutis. Tayune is an old Civil War flashpoint. The neighbourhood sits along what used to be known as the Green Line, the Civil War dividing line between Christian East Beirut and the city's largely Muslim West. That the violence flared along the same streets and between the same parties involved in the country's 15-year civil war was not lost on many of the residents. It made me think of the civil war. I'm 45 years old. I lived through the civil war. These are really disturbing scenes. I really hope this is the end of the country's problems, because we can't go on like this. Our children can't take it anymore. This generation is exhausted from corona, quarantine, from shootings, from explosions. We made it through the Beirut port explosion, but my son became terrified of anything like this. And then all of this happened. I really hope that's the end of it. That's all I have to say. Despite the violence being reminiscent of the civil war, Aya says the October 2019 popular protests indicate a new direction for the people of Lebanon. I think the October 2019 protest movement really showed that a very large portion of the population, particularly the younger generations, are ready to move beyond the sectarian narrative. They are ready to develop a national uh, identity, to develop you know, an identity of what it means to be Lebanese, separate from one sect. And we've seen the political class, I mean, this scares the political class because it changes the equation in Lebanon. The sectarian lines in Lebanon are ingrained in its politics. Although the popular protests since 2019 have been calling for an end to sectarian alliances, the political system has been built on these divisions. What was once a way to ensure equal representation of the different factions in Lebanese society felt for many of those protesting against it as a system which held back progress. The country is still reeling from the port blast, and over a year on, Justice feels no closer for many. Tariq Bittar's investigation is proving to be a watershed issue, and on its success or failure may also rest the future of the Lebanese state. Aya elaborates. You know, this battle is one that's much broader than just justice for the Beirut blast itself. If Judge Bittar is able to successfully prosecute high-level members of the political establishment, that will have far-ranging implications for future cases regarding other human rights abuses and other instances of corruption. It will show that these politicians are not above the rule of law, they are subject to the rule of law, and it will empower other members of the judiciary to follow Judge Bittar's lead and shatter those red lines and shatter the culture of impunity in the country. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines, and I've been your host, Gareth Brown. Thanks this week to Mahmoud Rida, Aya Majzoub, and Hassan Shab. If you want the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines, make sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This episode is produced by Aisha Khan, Arthur Edison, and James Haynes Young.